Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, he's in conversation with Reverend Dr. Samuel C. Tobert, Jr., pastor of the Greater St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana. It's a joy to visit with Dr. Samuel C. Tolbert, Jr., the pastor of the Greater St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and the president of the National Baptist Convention of America. Thank you, Dr. Talbert, for spending some time in conversation with us today about flourishing in ministry. Thank you, Dr. Goatley, uh, for having me. I'm honored uh, to have been invited. Well, as you know, we've been on journey with several pastors in pilgrimages of striving and thriving where we think about flourishing akin to a tree that sometimes it has leaves, sometimes it has blossoms. Sometimes the leaves are falling away and then sometimes there's nothing but bare limbs, but still the tree can be healthy and thriving. That's one way of thinking about flourishing. Given your perspective as a pastor with many years of experience, can you talk to us about what flourishing in ministry looks like to you? When I think about, you know, flourishing in ministry, I'm led to reflect upon a statement our old professor said back at Bishop College, that many times we as pastors tend to preach for and to pastors, but we're actually preaching to a congregation, but we act as if we're preaching uh, over them. And he was striving to get us even in the preaching part of ministry, to be impactful and innovative so that that would be, and he didn't like to use the word results. He liked to use the word so that that would be fruit from our labor. And I think as we think about ministry, the church, that we ought to set some some goals and some timelines and then evaluate to determine if there are fruit 
that are being produced from that. And of course, in the case of ministry, uh, that fruit would be the growth, the spiritual growth and development uh, of individuals, uh, that we would see uh, ministry being targeted more to an individual than just to a group. Uh, and it would have us more singularly focused. So I would think when we talk about flourishing in ministry, it's being impactful to individuals in a way that there is some uh, measurable fruit uh, that can be uh, gleaned from an observation of persons who've been on the journey for any period of time in ministry. That's helpful. And we've been exploring, testing, handling something that we call a formula for flourishing. Mm -hmm. uh, and this formula holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus service context yields ministry content, that there is a higher probability for flourishing. So we, we and it's not necessarily linear, but they're related the capacity, context, and content, and they're mutually informing of each other. Um, the idea is that you can't just drag and drop ministry that you see somebody else doing somewhere else because of what all is involved with capacity and context that leads to that content. Can you talk to us a little bit about how your context of service, you're in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and although you're involved in things around the country and around the world, you're situated in Lake Charles, can you talk to us about how your context of service informs your content of ministry? Yes, I would think that when I think about my context, of course, I'm pastoring the church that I grew up in. Uh, so I'm very familiar with the families and who they are connected to. Like I might see a child and not know that child's name, but I know what family they come from. Um, and, and I've noticed over the 37 years of pastoring my home church uh, that it's been strange how families have not only physical features, uh, but in many cases, their social and spiritual features are similar. Uh, I've had to pastor the grandparents and now I'm pastoring the grandchildren. Um, and because I knew the grandparent. Uh, I don't want to say it makes it easier, but I'm better equipped to deal with some of the grandchildren today because the social and spiritual and even the economic features of, of families tend to trend in similar ways. Uh, and that provides for me a context for me to launch daily ministry. It informs my preaching, uh, uh, the teaching, the way I shepherd the sheep, uh, because the context in which I'm operating in, in Southwest Louisiana, near the Gulf Coast, very prone to hurricanes every year, uh, having to evacuate. For example, I think about with families uh, and our efforts to minister to them during evacuation periods. Um, I'm better equipped uh, because of my familiarity with the context of the way families operate, on what families I got to pay a little more special attention to, even during 
evacuation periods to be able to minister to them. Uh, because I remember what their grandparents were like uh, and their assembly. You, you mentioned about the geographic context of where you, where you serve. And you mentioned about the, you know, the hurricanes every year. Can you talk to us a little more about what are some of the features of pastoring in the part of the country where you serve? I think some of the features of pastoring in the part of the country where I serve uh, would direct me to reflect upon uh, many times the literacy rate uh, in my area. Um, I'm in the state of Louisiana, of course, uh, and when it comes to uh, literacy and education and reading, uh, we have some great challenges. When we are ranked among the 50 states, we're usually near the bottom. And, I, and we must understand that that affects the way you can do ministry uh, because education, in my opinion, is directly tied to economics many times. And so the people who need the most assistance are the people who cannot provide the most resources. So I have to be uh, innovative and resourceful, and you talk about trust God and really trust God to provide the resources so that we could do ministry to people who really need it, uh, who can't always, for example, for Christmas, if I give them a gift, they may not be able to give me one back. It's kind of just an illustration. And the church has to recognize that as we do ministry in our church, much of what we have to do, we have to try to focus it in the community around us uh, because of where we are located, uh, the public housing developments that are near us, um, the single parent homes, the percentage of those, and I don't have the exact statistics, but I could probably write them for the people because I've grown up in the community and I know, uh, but the single parent homes, uh, the children who are unsupervised, uh, many times when they first get out of school in the afternoon, some of them I know them because I'm up and down the streets, you know, driving to and from. Uh, and, you know, I still have, uh, I guess you could call the luxury of stopping and saying to little Johnny, you should be home by now because school has been out for 30 minutes. Uh, okay, pastor, and take off running. And I don't get cursed out. Uh, I don't know if that same thing would work as well uh, in New York or California, uh, but I do still have some of that uh, that I can reminisce upon when I was growing up in a single parent home, how the elders in the community could stop and talk to us. Now, it's, it's different, uh, but we still enjoy some of that. And, and to me, that, that adds to our capacity to do ministry. So it sounds like that even in a setting where there may not be uh, some of the educational and economic resources that some other geographic areas may enjoy, it sounds like uh, you and the congregation have managed to learn how to minister even when you don't have all of the resources yes. that somebody else has. Am I hearing you right? That's correct. And then also, uh, I remember when I first became pastor, there was one person in my church with a college degree, uh, and it wasn't me. 
But when the church uh, extended the call to me, I was in college, a six hour drive away in Dallas, Texas. And I felt not only for me individually, but I felt the drive to graduate from college as a pastor it took me two and a half years uh, because my last two and a half years I was in college. I had to commute every week, six hours one way. I didn't only do that for myself and my family. I actually did it for my church. Uh, and so it makes it kind of difficult for some of the young people who come up with the excuses on why they're not in college uh, with a university and a community college right in the community when I was able to commute and do it. Uh, and now, of course, I can't count how many college degrees are in the church because I believe that I inspired. And I've heard, you know, the young people say to me and even some of the old people who went back to school. My wife went back to college after we got married because they were inspired by me going. So that helps to change the context for which I do ministry because I believe that even though in Louisiana geographically we have this low uh, literacy rate, I believe that it's improving and that the church can impact that by us promoting education and training uh, and to hear people in the lobby after church, even in virtual lobbies, because sometimes I like to say that when we have a Zoom call, a meeting, that we hang out in the lobby after the meeting is over. We just hang around and talk. I hear a lot of talk about classes and curriculum and school. That was a time I wouldn't have heard that. So it's, 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 making, it's making a difference. Thanks so much. And uh, I'm getting ready to ask you about your personal capacity. But before I do, I just want to make note for our listeners that one of the things that you, you indicated is that contexts can change. That yes. There may be some things that are familiar, even intergenerationally, but then there are other things that change in context or so context is dynamic. It's not static, even though there are some familiar pieces. Uh, you've talked a little bit about uh, uh, context and its relationship to ministry. Um, I'd like to ask you to talk about capacity, and you've, you've hinted at it a little in terms of you're talking about your continuing education, but can you talk to us just a little more about how your capacity as a pastor mm -hmm. contributes to the content of ministry? Yes, I believe uh, as I uh, began to think out of the box because of theological training, that pushed me not only to the edge, but over the edge about many facets of ministry. Uh, that be, uh, began to replicate itself in the congregation where I serve. Uh, people who were thinking kind of archaic, if you will, when it, when it came to ministry. Uh, they're thinking now later, differently. I, I think about even right now with the virtual ministry that we are having to do because of COVID. And our church is not only doing virtual ministry because of COVID, but now because of the aftermath of the hurricanes, our building's out of, out of place. Uh, I have a lady that's over 70 years old teaching a Sunday school class. And she started out on the telephone. And then she wanted to go to Facebook. Some of them were calling it face face, but Facebook. And a few weeks ago, I was shocked 
when she made a request for us to set up her Zoom account. She had gotten some Zoom training and now her Sunday school class can be more interactive, more like it was because now they're on Zoom. That's an evolution for her and that class that I never thought would have happened. Uh, but I believe it's because they see leadership um, out front, trying to be innovative, not getting stuck in concrete ways of doing things, but trying new things. And so sometimes you're going to make some errors. You have to back off and go back to something different. But I think it helps uh, to influence the congregants uh, in a ministry when, again, the pulpit challenges uh, his or herself. Well, this sounds like um, your capacity has both directly and indirectly affected the content of ministry. So you haven't had to actually physically design everything, but that the way that you're functioning influences how other people function. Uh, th that's, that's exactly right. And Dr. Gold, it, our friendship helped to develop me also. So, you know, it's not always this farmer education that helps to build a capacity in leadership that then flows to the fellowship. Uh, but, you know, the things that I learned from Lockera and David Goatley have been very informative to both me and the congregation. Uh, for example, and I keep referring to hurricanes, I guess I'm, you know, almost in shock by hurricanes, but anytime a hurricane is coming now and we know it's heading our direction, I don't have to get on the phone and call people and tell them what they need to do. I see the emails and the text start crossing. The membership is getting ready, you know, telling people, you know, remind them what they need to take with them and, you know, be sure to go to the church website, tell us where you are. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they're doing. And it's been basically because we've been impacted by missional people that have caused our congregation to be missional. A word to our listeners. Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously-led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed. Welcome back to the Lot Carry Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. 
I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the learning coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Reverend Dr. Samuel C. Tobert, Jr., pastor of the Greater St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana. You've been at Greater St. Mary for almost four decades, and uh, you've been active in, you know, uh, political uh, dynamics. Uh, You've been elected official there in your city and county. Uh, You serve on boards. You serve uh, as a governor of uh, your state system of education. Uh, You've a national denominational leader, you're a pan-Baptist leader, uh, you're engaged globally, and somebody, somebody's looking and saying, wow, uh, I wish I could do all that Dr. Talbert does, like you just kind of started doing that from day one. Uh, so to help people get a little more um, insight on the way the evolution uh, of, of ministry. Can you tell us about an area of leadership where you had to grow or develop? I think the biggest area that I've had to grow and develop as it relates to leadership has been in developing partnerships with people who do not theologically think like me. Um, and part of that, of course, is attributed to my ties to David Goatley and Lot Carrot, but there were some resources available to help people that were in the hands of people who I was not in agreement with theologically, but the need was greater than me to satisfy my theological um, concerns. And so that was one of the biggest things is stretching myself, becoming uh, ecumenical, um, and even within my own Baptist denomination, you know, there are several strands of Baptists. We probably got a strand of Baptists for every Baptist. I mean, it's just, but just being able to, to manage and negotiate that, uh, in a way that would make ministry flourish and be impactful. That's been one of the biggest challenges I've had as a leader. Uh, but I thank God that I've been able to, to a certain degree to manage it. Um, uh, and I'm better off now than I was before I started dealing with it. Can you tell us something that brings you great joy as a pastor? I was preaching a sermon this past Sunday on Matthew 4, 18 through 19, and I decided to talk about Jesus' mentoring model, you know, the way he mentored people. Um, it was a lifestyle for him. Mentoring was a lifestyle. Wasn't something, you know, you get in a little room once a week and that's what you do. But it was his lifestyle. And he he found people where they were and dealt with them with, you know, from where they were. And then he spent time with them. And the reason I bring that up, because I don't like to try to re-preach my sermons, but I've had a young man uh, that grew up in our church. And for the last five years, he's gone through a complete spiritual transformation. 
this young man has been in jail on almost every charge but killing somebody. Um, nobody would leave their keys or their purses around in the church when he was there. If he came to church, you'd see ladies grabbing their purses, pulling them. I mean, that purses could be two inches away. They'd pull them right up against them. And I had him to come on yesterday uh, and sit with me for the sermon time because I sat and did it yesterday. And I turned to him and asked him, how impactful has this ministry been to you over the last five years? Because he was a living testament of what Jesus was striving to do in Matthew 4, 18 through 19. And I was trying to say to the congregation, I need more of you all to help me find these difficult fellows like this fellow. And now he has keys to the churches, codes to the church. It tickled me some time ago, uh, one of the ladies in the church who I know is very protective of her belongings, she gave him her car keys to tell him to go get something out of her car in her glove box. I couldn't believe it. But I think that's been one of the joys of my ministry, to see somebody come full circle. They were in and out of the church. They were staying in trouble. And he was able to speak Sunday himself about what the church's ministry has done to him and that my pastor saw in me um, some things and start working with me. And I'm just so blessed. He said, if I wouldn't be in this church right now, I would either be in jail or dead. And he's under 40. And that's what he said. So I think, you know, that's the freshest thing I can think about. Because again, uh, Dr. Goldley, being around others from different uh, faith communities, I've learned sometimes a good illustration in a sermon is not a, always one you tell or you read in a book. Sometimes you can get a person to come in and, 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 and do a testimony like he did. And it was a great, that was more powerful than what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know, we as preachers, we don't like that to be the case, but it was more powerful than what I was saying to let him talk. Uh, and it really touched uh, my wife and his grandmother and others because they called and I came home. My wife said, y'all should have told me y'all was going to do this so I could prepare myself. That boy <laughs> had me in tears at the house, you know, and down south, you know, we believe in shouting at the church. So they were shouting at their homes yesterday and the pastor didn't make them shout. It was the testimony of that young man. That's one of the greatest joys in my life, not only in his life, but in the lives of many others. And one of the things that I'm hearing in you're talking about that uh, example of something that brings you joy is that that was not instantaneous. You talked about somebody uh, five years and, yes. you know, he's under 40. So five years is a, a sizable chunk of time. Yes. Uh, but it sounds like some relationship over time. And I suspect that there were some steps forward and some steps sideways and some steps backwards as well. So it sounds like part of your joy is not just instantaneous, no. but it comes with being in relationship over time. I've got him out of jail about four times in five years. Um, and, you know, you get them out once and they go back, you get them out again and you start thinking this is not working. But I, the Lord would allow me to see the progress. Um, and, and he's really heading in a good direction now. And, and what I thought about was about eight o'clock yesterday, I called him to ask him, would he do it? Um, 
I think he wasn't going to do it because he doesn't get up and talk at church because he's one of the tech guys that helped with our virtual church. That brought him to another level because the last year he's got to work with me and my daughter and others. And it's the millennials that's, that's helping us to do the virtual. And when I call him at eight o'clock and I waited to eight to give him time to wake up because we do not, we do not start until nine 30. He was already at the building trying to line things up with the green screen. He said it was in the wrong place. But again, think an hour and a half before time, he was already there on duty, making sure that things were going to be ready for church. That's that's a total transformation of a life. And anytime that happens in the life of a church, it, it ought to give the, the membership and the pastor joy. Well, that's a change for him. And then for all of the arc of the rest of his life. Yes. And people who he he will have uh, influence over and around. You know, and what I'm saying to him now is that you're going to have to help me reach those other young men. And you know who they are. I don't know. And you can tell them the benefit of being around pastor in the church and uh, other leaders in the church. And he called the name of some others uh, that I didn't even know about. I knew they had the ability to do it, but he specifically called their name as contributing to who he is now. And so how do we build that kind of network in our churches? Because if you talk about flourishing ministry, uh, when ministry focus is on an individual, that's one prime example. What is the best advice that you received about pastoral leadership? I think about uh, a, a pastor who's now going to be with the Lord, who said to me when I first became pastor, and he used kind of an agricultural illustration. He said, God has given you this field to work. You got a little lot of digging and pulling things and moving things around and taking time to pay attention to the field and getting to know it and all of that. Don't spend your time trying to work your field while you're looking in the other field. And I didn't quite understand it. I remember asking him, he said, well, for example, you're over here working at Greater St. Mary, but you're measuring the progress of St. Mary by the church where I passed. You're looking over to see what I'm doing and you're not doing anything in your field while you're looking over into mine. Focus on being spirit-led and committed to the field where God has planted you and God will cause you to in the words of, uh, of what you're doing now, flourish, uh, grow where you've been planted. I think that's some of the greatest advice that I've had. And I've used that advice in all areas of my service, whether it be at the church, whether it be in community service, whatever my assignment is, I focus on doing my assignment and, and don't spend much of my time trying to look over measuring um, my success, if you will, based on what somebody else is doing. What advice would you like to give to someone today who is interested in flourishing in ministry? Find people that you trust in Christendom and get them to recommend readings to you, books to read. And don't wait till the five-year mark or the 10-year mark or the 20-year mark and start reading now. Read now as if you got a year left in life. Because I've noticed that it expands your thinking and your mind. Uh, and especially in the context 
of the black church many times, the black pastor in particular, if we're not careful, we can get caught up into so many things we forget to read. And if there's one thing that I had to say, I would talk about reading. And then inside that advice of reading, don't let all of the other books you read become more important than the reading of the Bible. Because reading the Bible and getting to know the Bible is going to be important for the rest of your ministry. Because uh, many of the books you read are going to be about the Bible. But if I gave some more advice uh, inside of that, don't just read books about the Bible. Um, because people are operating in the world today in uh, many areas that many times pastors are ignorant of because of a lack of reading and getting to know what's going on. And right now, I mean, you got things online. I mean, it's so easy um, to read. So read, read, read. We've been in conversation today with Dr. Samuel C. Talbert, Jr., the lead pastor of the Greater St. Mary Missionary Baptist Church in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and the president of the National Baptist Convention of America. Dr. Talbert, thank you so much for taking this time to talk with us and sharing generously your wisdom today. Thank you very much, Dr. Goldner, for having me, and I pray that we've been a blessing. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Mm-hmm.